Good evening. Hasn't it been such a blessing the last several Sunday evenings to hear such great lessons from the different men of the congregation and on Sunday mornings from Blake as everyone's taking their turn filling in? Um, for those of you who may not know me, I'm Chad Dozier. I am Blake's little brother. Um, growing up, it always seemed like I was trying to walk in the footsteps of him in front of me, whether it be sports or academics or popularity or being the funniest kid in the class, whatever it was. And here I am yet again trying to live up to my big brother's reputation. You know, when they asked me to take one of the Sunday evening spots, I wasn't thinking about how good everyone else was going to be. And I said, you know, just throw me in wherever I'll fit. Um, I should have thought that one through a little more because because we've had some great lessons. And if I had started, we could have only gone uphill from there. But but bear with me. We'll make it through tonight and it'll be good. Um, also want to apologize to the young adults class a little bit because y'all have probably heard some of what I'm going to talk about tonight. I taught a class a couple months back and have adapted some of that for tonight. So I want to start out by telling y'all a story that's not related to the lesson, but as I was preparing, I was initially going to preach a lesson about how it was important for us to be here when the doors were open and fellowship with one another, and we're going to talk a little bit about fellowship. But then I realized that the Sunday evening before I was preaching, I was going to be out of town at a Cowboys football game. So I punted that idea. And we're going to talk tonight about what genuine Christian fellowship looks like. Um, I think when we're involved in genuine fellowship, we cannot help but grow both as a church body and individually. So I want to start out with kind of a hypothetical story. I told this story in our class. And just to kind of make a point, you know, just imagine there's a family that goes to the movies. And on the way in, the son of the family stops. He runs to the restroom and, and then stops at the concession stand to grab a drink and some popcorn. So he's, he's running late and he gets into the theater and in the 45 minutes or an hour of previews have already started. So the lights are dimmed and he's walking up and down the aisles and he's squinting and he's looking down each row and he's trying to find his family. And he's searching and he's getting frustrated and he's thinking, does anyone here recognize me? Have any of y'all had that feeling before for someone to recognize you? Fill out a place. You know, even though the, the church building and the classrooms here at Oldham Lane are, are well lit, there may be people that come in or people that are here that like this lost child or they're searching deep down. They're asking, does anyone here recognize me? We're all longing for that genuine Christian fellowship. While our church services and classes should be a place where we can find genuine fellowship, sometimes it can be lacking. Have you ever visited a church while on vacation or out of town where it would have been painfully obvious that you were not a regular attendee and neither before or after someone came up and talked to you or greeted you? It doesn't make you feel very good. It doesn't make you feel like ever going back. Kind of puts a sour taste in your mouth. Um, our, our local church is not supposed to be like a theater where we file in, 
we find a seat next to people that we don't have any relationship with, watch a performance, and file out. Part of the problem is that we've come to think of the church as a building that we go to for services. And, you know, James asks the kids every Sunday night at Few Packers, he says, what is the church? And I made sure and listened that he did it tonight because I was going to give him a hard time if he didn't. But he says, what is the church? And, and what's the answer that the kids always give? They say the people. The church is the people. The New Testament speaks very clearly that the church is God's people. It's a living body that's knit together by our union in Christ the head. Going along with the misconception that the church is just a weekly gathering is the other idea that, that maybe the preacher, the ministers, the elders, and maybe a few other of the committed volunteers run the church. The rest of the folks should just come, sit, listen, and go home. This couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible is very clear that every member of the church should be a minister to Christ, of Christ. If everyone here viewed themselves as a minister or vital part of the church here to serve by reaching out in love and in Christian fellowship, then no one would walk into any of our services and feel like no one recognized them. Our scripture for this evening is going to be Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And I did not make a slideshow tonight, so we're going to have to go old school. So if you have your Bibles, pull them out and let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. Starting in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. When we read this, it's obvious that Paul has a relationship with this church of very close fellowship. It's much deeper than what we often consider fellowship. You know, there's some kind of superficial things that a lot of times we, we label as fellowship, whether it be chatting about sports or, or talking about the weather that's outside or visiting about work, or how business are going, or what, what activities our kids are into. This, this is one that's going to step on toes, sitting around and eating together. Um, shaking hands and greeting one another in the halls. Finding something to gripe about with each other together. Um, talking about hobbies. I'm not trying to say that those things are wrong. I think all of those things, maybe except gathering together to gripe about things, are good things, and I think they're the result of Christian fellowship, and they, and they lead to it. But I want to point out that none of these things define what genuine Christian fellowship is. Paul here touches on what the true Christian fellowship is. While he's, he's miles away from the church in Philippi, his heart is tied up with these people, and their hearts are with him. There's no natural explanation for why this Jew 
who is in prison in Rome, and these European people who themselves were not a very homogenous group would be so close to one another. What is knitting them together is this true Christian fellowship. Christian fellowships means sharing together in the things of God. There's five aspects that I want to talk on, that I want to touch on in these verses. The first is genuine fellowship means praying for one another. Verses three and four. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Even though Paul was confined in prison and could not be with the Philippians, it did not prevent him from thinking about them and praying for them. His remembering in prayer, praying for them, filled him with thanksgiving and joy as he thought about how God was at work among them. Our remembrance of others should not stop with warm feelings. We should turn towards God with heartfelt prayers for one another. This is, this is something that I, I struggle with a lot of times. I often think about the prayer list that we make, and I think, you know, God knows what's on that list, but, but what if we took prayer a step further? Instead of just praying for the things that are on our prayer list, what if we remembered or just thought about another one of our brothers or sisters when, when we thought about them, we stopped and said a prayer? In Ephesians 6.18, we're told, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we're told, Pray without ceasing. In Romans 12, verse 12, it tells us, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. These verses don't mean that we're to quit our jobs and and spend all day sitting around praying all day long for one another. The word translated in in the verse in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, was used, the same word that's used of a hacking cough. Someone with a hacking cough is always coming back to it after brief intervals. Thus, prayer is to be a frequent, common conversation between us and the Lord, And the subject of our prayer should often be other Christians and their walk with God. Another wonderful side effect of praying for one another is that it's really hard to stay angry or frustrated with someone that you're actively praying for. It's extremely hard to stay angry with someone that you're praying for daily. Uh, James Boyce put it this way. He said, I think that 90% of all the divisions between true believers in this world would disappear entirely if Christians would learn to pray specifically and constantly for one another. The second aspect that I want to talk about with genuine Christian fellowship here is genuine fellowship means serving God together. It's in verses 5 and 7. Let's read those again. Because of your partnership in the gospel, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, 
both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This is kind of one of my soapboxes. The, the Philippians here joined Paul in the cause of the gospel. They were active in serving the Lord. The concept of being a church member who just attends a church service once a week would have been completely foreign to these people, and rightly so. It should be foreign to us as well. Christ never saves anyone so that they can just add church attendance to their list of weekly things to do. Nor does he save anyone so that they can live happier lives that are just as self-centered as they were before. Every believer is saved to serve God. Americans have kind of adopted this change in focus in which they, they view the church like consumers who are shopping for a place that will meet their needs. So they try out this church and they try out that church and finally settle on one that seems to offer the services that they're interested in. But if they have an unpleasant experience or if they hear of another church that seems to offer better programs, they change to it. Much like we change department stores if one better suits our fancy. Sadly, a lot of churches cater to this mentality. Articles and books tell church leaders how to market their churches to different groups. They warn that, that if we don't learn what the different groups want and redesign the church to give it to them, that we'll lose them. And then there's nervous leaders that see the people going down the street to the church that offers a full-service program, and they get busy trying to design new programs to help their church compete in the marketplace. The point of the church is not to meet the needs of folks who decide to give them their business. The church is a fellowship of those who serve Jesus because he bought them with his blood. That service sometimes includes being persecuted, as Paul pointed out. Paul mentions how the, Philipp how the Philippians were partners with him in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel in verse 7. He tells them in chapter 1, verse 29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Can you picture the Philippian church taking out an ad in the local, local newspaper and, and the saying in their ad says, come join our church. You'll love suffering with us. We must have the best persecution program in town. You know, the church is engaged in combat for the souls of men and women. The truth of the gospel is under attack, not only from outside the camp, but also from within. Thus, it needs to be defended. There are many today who say that we should never be negative, that we should only emphasize loving one another. Those who dare to confront the serious heresies get labeled as divisive and unloving, but Paul spent a good deal of time in his letters defending the gospel, often against false teachers. So did John, Peter, and Jude. So, so must we if we want to be faithful to Christ. The point is, every Christian has a role to fulfill by serving together in Christ's army. The Lord saved you to serve, and serving him isn't always easy or free from strife, but it knits us together in a deep, genuine Christian fellowship when we join together in serving him. Genuine fellowship means praying and serving Christ together.
The third aspect here is that genuine fellowship means trusting in God's sovereign working in one another. In verse 6, it reads, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's look at that verse 6 from the angle of fellowship. It means that I, that we, can trust God to work in the lives of our brothers and sisters. God began their salvation, and he's going to finish the job. Fellowship often breaks down because I see another Christian that isn't exactly where I am on some issue. Whether it's how to interpret some doctrine or how to live on some issue or, or politics, I'm threatened by Christians who are different than I am. And so I take it on as my task to change that person so that they'll be like me. They sense my rejection of him or my attempts to change him and draw back and fellowship is hindered. We have to be willing to trust God's working in one another to have true Christian fellowship with each other. I'm not saying that we shouldn't correct or point out to another brother or sister when they're acting outside of Christ. I'm pointing out the fact that we need to be as excited and as certain about our brother or our sister's salvation as we are of our own. The fourth aspect is that genuine fellowship means partaking together of God's grace. In verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We are all partakers of the grace. Paul saw the Philippians as partakers of grace with him. Just as Paul, the persecutor of the church, had, had found God's undeserved favor at the cross, so had the Philippians. So have we all who have met Christ. Every true member of the church is a partaker of God's grace. The more I grow in Christ, the more I sense how much grace I needed to get saved and how much grace I need daily to go on with Christ. And the more I should view my fellow saints as fellow sinners who need not only grace from God, but also grace from me as we labor together for Christ. Viewing ourselves and other Christians as fellow partakers of God's grace humbles us, and it puts us on the same level. Paul could have viewed himself as God's greatest apostle to the Gentiles, and the Philippians as his converts. Paul could have easily had the attitude, just think where you would be today if I hadn't come and given the gospel to you. And don't forget how much I suffered in that process. But he didn't. It's interesting to trace chronologically how Paul referred to himself in three of his letters. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Later, in Ephesians 3, verse 8, he said, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He calls himself the very least of all the saints. 
Finally, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, he called himself the chief of sinners. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. You know, I've been around some Christians whose company, quite frankly, was difficult to enjoy. It's easy to become judgmental and impatient where you think, why is this person so hard to be around? And fellowship is strained. But when we realize that we are all unworthy of our grace, our grace will abound towards them and we can have true fellowship. Of course, grace doesn't mean that we tolerate sin and shrug off sloppy living. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes we need to confront. We need to help one another face and overcome faults. But if we remember that we're all partakers of God's undeserved grace, we'll give one another more room to grow. We'll be more patient and forbearing with each other. Genuine fellowship is sharing together in God's abundant grace. Fifth and finally, genuine fellowship means having a heartfelt affection for each other. In verse 8, Paul writes, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul calls God as his witness of his longing and affection for the Philippian believers. Not because they would be prone to doubt him, but because he felt it so deeply. The word affection here is the word for bowels or of the, the inner vital organs. It emphasizes the emotional aspect of Paul's love for these people who were so dear to him. Paul was unashamedly emotional in his love for God's people. He told the Thessalonians that he had cared for them as tenderly as a nursing mother. Then he said in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Sin divides us from those who are different from us or racially, culturally, or, or in other ways, but the love of Christ unites us, not just intellectually, but with a heartfelt love. Such love isn't manipulative. It's not trying to use the other person for our own advantage. It truly seeks God's best for the other person, even at personal inconvenience or sacrifice. So here's the hard question, and if you're honest, I think we've all wrestled with it before. How can I develop a heartfelt love for a Christian whom I find it hard to be around? To be honest, it's not easy. But I think all of the factors of fellowship that I've mentioned tonight go into this solution. If we pray diligently for the other person, if we find a work to do together with the other person, if we trust God to do his work of sanctification in him, if we get to know them and know their background, and we recognize that we are both partakers of God's grace, I think it becomes easier. But there's another factor here mentioned in verse 8. He says, It is to love him or her with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
J.B. Lightfoot paraphrased, he said, Did I speak of having you in my own heart? I should rather have said that in the heart of Christ Jesus I long for you. Then Lightfoot comments, A powerful metaphor describing perfect union. The believer has no yearnings apart from his Lord. His pulse beats with the pulse of Christ. His heart throbs with the heart of Christ. Jesus Christ loved that difficult brother or sister enough to go to the cross for him or her. He can love them through you or as me as well. As we obey by judging our sinful thoughts toward the person and by acting in love, the feelings of love will almost invariably follow. But even if they don't, we have to obey. You know, some of us take Christian fellowship for granted, don't we? We're so blessed here to have such a a great body of Christians that fellowship with one another. What a great privilege it is to be able to share together in the things of God. You know, if if you just attend church, but you're not connected with other Christians during the week, you need to get plugged in with that fellowship. And we all need to see ourselves as servants of Christ with a responsibility to reach out in genuine Christian fellowship to our brothers and sisters, especially to new people, and even to those who may be different than we are. We don't want anyone to come here and ask the question, does anyone here recognize me? Um, It's our tradition at this time to offer an invitation, so I would like to at this time extend that invitation to you. If you have any need, would you please come forward as we stand and as we sing?